I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And if you're wondering what it takes to be a ring announcer in pro wrestling, I got the best in the business on the show today to tell you all about it. Continuing the anatomy series, it's the anatomy of a ring announcer with Justin Roberts from AEW, who spent many years doing the job for WWE. He shares what it takes to get there. Justin's got a great story about what inspired him to be a ring announcer and what he did to make WWE take notice and give him a chance. He explains how he landed the job at AEW and the biggest differences between ring announcing for the two companies. He talks about developing his style, the do's and don'ts of ring announcing, and how he handles requests from talent. Justin shares some of his favorite intros and explains how his style changes for live shows versus house shows versus pay-per-view shows. Uh, you'll hear what Honky Tonk Man, the Navajo Warrior, and the great late Howard Finkel uh, did for Justin's career in his early days. How a chance meeting with Justin Credible, a.k.a. PJ Walker, started Justin down the path to ring announcing. And what it was like to figure out intros for AEW talent, including Sting, CM Punk, Orange Cassidy, Jay Lethal, and John Moxley. We talked about Anarchy in the Arena, Stadium Stampede, and that time the Inner Circle beat up Justin in his hometown at ringside. Plus, you hear about Justin's WWE days, including how he came up with his famous John Cena intro. The anatomy of a ring announcer conversation with Justin Roberts coming up. And so is Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, the Four Leaf Clover. We set sail February 2nd. We're going to our own private island for the first time ever, just outside of the Bahamas. we got a stacked lineup of talent as well. AEW is going to be there. Raven, the band, Quiet Riot, Royal Bliss, Dave Spivak Project. Quarantine's going to be there. Pris, all-female cover band. Kiss cover band. Of course, Fozzie playing three shows on the cruise. Comedy, live podcasts, live wrestling. Dave Schrader of the Paranormal 60 will be hosting live paranormal experiences and stories. And just announced, Flip Gordon goes straight to the bye as we are getting ready to announce who the four contenders are to face Flip to become the inaugural, first time ever, Jericho Cruz Oceanic Champion. Yes, that's correct. The Jericho Cruz Oceanic Championship will be decided on the Four Leaf Clover as well. We are jam-packed, chock-full of fun entertainment. It's going to be the vacation of a lifetime. There are still cabins left. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com and get yours now. All right. The Anatomy of a Ring Announcer with Justin Roberts right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so a couple months ago, we had the anatomy of a pro wrestling referee with Marty Elias, and Justin Roberts had the idea of continuing the series and talking about the anatomy of a ring announcer. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of things about being a ring announcer that uh, I have no idea about, uh, but first of all, why did you have this idea to, to want to talk about this? I really enjoy the podcast with you and Marty Elias. And when he was talking about all the little things that he does in refing, and you said, oh, I never knew that. Oh, I never knew that. I thought, well, if you're ever looking for another similar episode, there's probably a lot of things that go into like ring announcing that and other divisions too, but things that you just don't think about because, I don't know, we all just kind of do our own little thing and we never explain what we do and why we do it. The thing about ring announcers too is it's very, it's very similar to a referee in that uh, 
you don't notice a great ring announcer. And what I mean by that is you hear the the cadence and the intro, and if it's really good, it kind of just background noise as a performer. A really bad ring announcer, you will hear that shit when you're backstage going, oh my gosh, this is awful. So th- there is a real... Uh, a real art to this. It's not just a matter of grabbing a microphone and going in this corner. I always tell people, and, and they're surprised by it, that there's an actual science that goes into it. And there's a lot. And when people say, you know, is this person a good announcer or a bad announcer? I can't judge because there's no right way to be a ring announcer. If you think about it, like on an independent show, they will take somebody who could talk. You could talk. Hey, do you want to be the ring announcer? And it's like, it's the position you think of probably the least. Because with a referee, you know, they have to have the skill to do it. But for a ring announcer, we just need somebody who could go in there and announce names. And that's how I started. I just did an impression of an announcer and was like, hey, I could do a wrestling show. I could be a ring announcer in wrestling. So, ladies and gentlemen, you know, it's... Kind of put on the uh, weatherman voice. Yeah. On this side of the country, it's sunny. They used to call on me in school to read out loud. And I used... I'm a big Saturday Night Live fan. So, every time... I read out loud, I would use a different character. I'd use a different voice. And one of them was an announcer. So when I was trying to think of how to get into wrestling, I'm like, oh, I could be an announcer and had no skill whatsoever. Uh, I trained myself. I'm a backyard ring announcer, I guess. <laughs> trained myself. And then over the years, I developed, okay, like the little rules. You don't do this and you don't do this and you should do this. And you come up with your own rules that make sense. Like never do this again. Always do this. Oh, this worked. So there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, and we'll talk about some of your rules, and I want to hear about it, but just kind of a little bit of a background. So I know you have more pictures than probably almost anybody of you as a little kid hanging out <laughs> with wrestlers. You know, I, I wish I had cameras available like that But when I was a kid. But So obviously you're a huge wrestling fan, and you're not a small guy. I mean, you're fairly tall. You've always been in good shape. Did you never actually think about getting in the ring and wrestling itself? Oh, I wanted to be a wrestler. Uh, when I used to meet the guys, like I remember talking to the warlord and I was probably 14 and I was like, how do I become a wrestler? You know, anybody I could meet, uh, I would ask how to become a wrestler. And I met PJ Walker, just incredible. And I used to hang out at the arenas, behind the arenas, at the hotel near the arenas and just talk to anybody that I could. Right. And he gave me a phone number for a guy and he said, this is my friend, uh, Tony. And this is kind of in the Phoenix area, right? Arizona? This is Chicago. Oh, sorry, Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course, yeah. So met him at the Clarion Hotel that backed up to the Rosemont Horizon, where I used to meet a lot of the guys. And he gave me his number. He said, Tony, I still have the, the postcard to this day with his phone number on it. I actually have it memorized, but it's still the same number, so I can't say it out loud. Uh, <laughs> called the guy up, and I used to call him freshman year in high school, periodically from the payphone in high school. And I'd be like, hey, I want to be a wrestler. And, I realized that I couldn't go to New York to train with him because I thought that's how you become a wrestler. You go to New York and you train with this guy, Tony, and then you become a wrestler. Uh, And so it turned out that Tony was Tony DeVito, who used to do a lot of enhancement work uh, out of New York for WWF. So he used to, I just picked his brain and he used to answer all my questions, but I just realized it's a lot to become a wrestler. So the easy way to do it is go and put on that announcer voice and announce a wrestling show. And that's what happened. I got to work for Sonny Rogers in 1996. I was 16 and I wow. did a show and came back like three months later and did their next show. So for two years, I worked for PWI in Chicago, graduated high school, moved out to Tucson for college. And that's where I hooked up with Honky Tonk Man, who introduced me to the Navajo Warrior, who's Steve, who works for 2K, the video game mm-hmm. company. Uh, and he used to book the ring and all the talent, the undercard, the referee, and the ring announcer for all the shows in Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. So he got me, like, he opened the door for me. Do you remember the first match you ever announced? Absolutely. It was a six-man. I still have the video of the introductions, and it is terrible. Now, why is it terrible? Again, all those little rules that I've learned over the years, just what to do, what not to do. I just, and approaching the ring from wherever Illinois. Like you just, it's very basic. So, so, okay, so, so and like you meant, because once again, I, I really want to delve into this now. And you might never ever been this detailed before. So what, like I know for like watching a kid in his first match, you can always see the, the habits that they fall into and, and what's bad and what's good. Now you mentioned you kind of did this nasally type of voice. And you said the things that you now would never do. 
what were some of the things that you did that first time? Like, was the nasally voice something you thought was what an announcer should sound like? It was Howard. It was definitely more Howard than nasally. Now that I think about it, like, I went and imitated Howard Finkel. Howard Finkel, Because yeah. what I... The following contest is scheduled for one fall. So even that, okay, if you want to get nerdy with me here. The following contest is scheduled for one fall. For years has always been what you say as a wrestling ring announcer, right? We were doing a house show in San Jose, California. It was an afternoon show. And I used to take the corded mic and I used to throw it under the bottom rope, slide it into the ring. And in between all 10 matches on a show, that's what I did. Slide the microphone under the ring, get in the ring, pick up the microphone. This next contest is scheduled for one fall. The following contest is scheduled for one fall. So San Jose slid it in the ring after like four matches, picked it up, and it's just silent in the arena. And a guy goes, the following contest is scheduled for one fall. <laughs> and as soon as he said that, I was like, man, I need to switch this up because I sound very robotic. I'm saying the same thing. And even this guy picked up on it. Mm -hmm. So if that gentleman is listening, you are the one that inspired me to change. <laughs> and if you notice when I do it, sometimes I say the following contest is scheduled for one fall. Sometimes I say this bout is set for one fall, this match. Sometimes if we're doing like 30 dark matches in a day, just to completely switch it up, I'll go, this next particular bout is scheduled for one, just to make it a little bit different because there's no right or wrong way of doing it. There's no manual that comes with how to be a ring announcer. In fact, I'm very curious how people, you know, training schools always say, we'll train you to be a ref, we'll train you to be a ring announcer. I'm very curious how wrestling schools train you to be a ring announcer because no one really knows. There's, there's such an art to it and there's such small, it's all small things. Mm -hmm. As you know, from being a wrestler, you do all these little things and that's what makes you special. Right. Obviously big things too, but there's, it's well, the all things little what things. makes a good worker great. Yeah. I always said that. All little things, just subtle little things like that. So if you think of, and I don't know if this is jumping ahead, but even in my ring introductions, there are little, little things that I do. And I always say like, this is never about putting myself over. It's always about doing something to make, as a ring announcer, your job is to enhance the wrestler's introductions, to enhance the wrestler, to, to give the wrestler the appropriate response. If you're a big heel, when I introduce you, I want to give you the big heel feel. If you're a big baby face, I want to do whatever I can to enhance your entrance and to make your introduction give that reaction of a big baby face. Not saying that people are going to cheer or boo because of the way I say your name, but I'm not going to go against the grain and give you a giant baby face introduction if you're a heel. So little things, totally little. This bout is set for one fall approaching the ring. When CM Punk comes to the ring, because he's kind of an old school guy, old school fan, I do coming down the aisle. And that was a big Howardism. Coming down the aisle. So for Punk, he gets coming down the aisle. Also on Punk, when I introduce Sky Blue, who's from Chicago, from Chicago, Illinois, Sky Blue. That's, I grew up in Chicago. That's how I always said Chicago. Punk, with his Chicago accent, has always said Chicago. When I introduce him coming down the aisle from Chicago, Illinois, it's little, little things. When I'm introducing Sting, everybody's waiting to hear, this is Sting, right? That's somebody else's introduction. And I don't want to take that away Who's from was that? Him. Capetta? That was Capetta. I'm trying to think like, or Penzer, I, I know Penzer did it, but I think Capetta started that, right? So I don't want to take that away from Sting. I also don't want to steal Capetta's thing. I want to pay homage to that. So when I do it, I want to go into this as Sting, but you don't give it to them right away. So I just came up with my own, this, and the crowd's expecting is Sting. And you go, is the legend, this, and they start to pop, is the icon, this, is, and then you get there. And I'm not saying they're popping because of my introduction, I'm but just you're building it. I'm giving the appropriate introduction. Right. You know, it's it's the famous kiss intro they still use this day. You wanted the best. You got the best. The hottest band in the world. Kiss. Now, on a live one and a live two, that is a standard classic moment. I've heard them now. Obviously, it's 40 years later. The cadence is not the same. You know what I mean? You wanted the best. You got the best. And I, I want the other guy. You wanted the best. Here's another one. I just saw the Stones last week in Hyde Park, and I've seen the Stones a dozen times. One of the greatest intros of all time. It's only five words, six words. Ladies and gentlemen, 
the Rolling Stones. That's their intro. And I got goosebumps just hearing that myself. It's part of the package of the show to where if they didn't have that, you'd be like, where the fuck's the intro? And you remember it. Right. You're sitting here and you're able to remember that because it's stuck. So that's what I do with ring announcing. We have a lot of talent, whether they're here, whether they come and go. We have a lot of talent and you want to do what you can to make somebody feel special. If there's something appropriate to make them feel special, let's say Jay Lethal, Jay Lethal. We know that he does that Macho Man character, right? So when I started introducing him, like as soon as I was going to introduce him for that first match, there was something I wanted to do, but I didn't want to do it without asking him. So I gave him a standard introduction. The next time I saw him, I said, dude, would it be cool if, and he loved it. So the next time he came out, this contest is scheduled for one fall. Introducing first from Elizabeth, New Jersey, weighing two. And it's subtle. So I don't stick with it. I don't. You know, I'm not looking for any. It, I go right from Elizabeth in that voice just to make it his own, to make it feel special. And people catch on to that. Now, a friend of mine brought up something that I did during Dante Martin's introduction. He said it was funny the first time. And uh, after that, like, you can't keep telling the same joke. Uh, I didn't want to push back. I, I just kind of said, OK, no problem. But when I do something like that, like I was using a Minnesotan accent, like a slight Minnesotan accent to say from Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's just something very, very, very small just to make that tiny little special element to make his introduction specific to him. And I, I, again, I didn't push back and I, I just said, okay, and I stopped doing that. But I, it wasn't meant to be funny. It wasn't meant to get myself over. It was just something that people could grab onto that is memorable uh, and also makes their introduction feel special. And a similar thing happened with like the Orange Cassidy introduction. I would do from wherever, weighing whatever, and I did it in a way where it, it wasn't confident. It was more like from wherever, weighing whatever. It was it was just done because it, it was there to match his character, kind of like, you know, whatever, <laughs> literally whatever. So uh, same friend had brought that up and, and said to make that more confident, which I had done it the original way just because it I thought it matched his character more. But, um, you know, I, I listened to my friends who, who listened to the small things like that, and uh, I, I just tried to make any announcement I can uh, special for anybody I'm introducing and my hope is that somebody feels something on an introduction and it, it makes it part of uh, a character's entrance. That's how nerdy I get. I really put a lot of thought into these introductions and do stuff. But this is your job. Yeah. You know, yeah. Howard Finkel was the same way. And obviously in pro wrestling, Howard Finkel's the most famous ring announcer of all time. Sure. To the point where he, he became a character on the show. And I don't think he wanted to ever be a character. He just wanted to be the ring announcer, you know? Right. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas, see? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Let's hear more about how you actually got into the WWE at first, because you mentioned you started out on the indies. 
you asked earlier how a school trains ring announcers, and I'll throw that back at you. How the hell does a ring announcer get into the WWE? Because you talk about like a very, very slim uh, job opportunities in the wrestling business. There's like five that you could do in the companies. How did you get into this big time position? And I tell people all the time, follow your dreams. Everything is possible. Because if I want to be a ring announcer for WWE, you know, at at the time there was WWF and WCW. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to work for one of those two companies. WCW shut, shut down. So it was just one company and I never gave up. I never changed it to anything else. That's what I wanted to do. That was the goal. So I, I wrote a book a while back, uh, Best Seat in the House, your backstage pastor, my WWE journey. And I tell the full story. But the quick story, I made them crazy. Every time I worked independent shows and I worked for a promoter named Dale Gagne, he was running shows under the AWA banner. <laughs> Gagne, of course. Lots of stories about that. <laughs> uh, all very entertaining. So he was running these really big shows. And in fact, we would draw like 5,000 people. And uh, I mean, maybe the event was called SummerSlam, but still it's Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And it was <laughs> our version, I guess, of SummerSlam. But there were big crowds. And so every time I worked these shows, Sergeant Slaughter would be on there. There would always be guys who actually worked for WWF or WCW. I would always update my demo and my resume and always send new footage to WWF and to WCW. I drove Terry Taylor crazy in WCW. I drove Kevin Kelly crazy in WWF. So I constantly sent out my video, my resume, would reach out to them every few months just to follow up. And eventually uh, I was emailing an address that may or may not have gone to Kevin Dunn. I didn't know because I never got anything back. And uh, one day I was at the the hotel that everybody stayed at in Phoenix. This was right before I graduated college in Tucson. I uh, was doing an indie show in Prescott. And what year are we talking? This is 2001, 2002. Oh, wow. Okay. So we were outside the hotel, had just worked an indie show for AWA in Prescott. Sarge had gotten us tickets to go to the WWF show in Phoenix. And we were at the hotel to see Sarge before the show. So I see Kevin Dunn, who I recognize from Tough Enough, because where else would you see him and know what he looked like? You wouldn't like? know, yeah. Right. You just, you heard the name. And he walked up and I, I said to my friend, I go, should I go say something? And my friend said, no. And this is my friend, Danny, who's wrong about everything. <laughs> and then Dale from AWA was across. He goes, absolutely, go up and say something to him. So I, I ran up to the door and I introduced myself and I said, excuse me, I'm a, I'm a ring announcer. My name is Justin Roberts. He goes, yeah, I, I know who you are. Maybe one day we'll, we'll get you in the ring and, and see what you can do. And that to me was like, okay, cool. So uh, he had seen your stuff. Yeah. yeah. He had, I mean, I, I don't think he would have. Yeah, he wouldn't you know? say, you know, I know who you yeah. are or whatever it is, or we've seen your stuff. So he must have seen something. And from that day on, caller ID was still kind of a new concept. And I would check my caller ID constantly, like, oh, do they call? Do they call? And I graduated from U of A and immediately moved to Scottsdale right after that the next day. And the first thing I did was pull out my computer and send an email again to this address that may or may not have been Kevin. And the next day I got a a call from a Stanford number and it was a voicemail saying, Hey, this is Sue calling from WWF. Um, We want to give you a tryout, uh, give us a call, whatever. And I picked up, uh, it was like a Friday afternoon and I didn't want the office to be closed. I didn't want to like miss out on this opportunity, have to wait to Monday to find out what was going on. I picked up the phone like three or four or five times it took me to pick up the phone and dial the number correctly. Like, You're nervous. I, couldn't, I couldn't type. Yeah, I was so nervous. So I called up and it was Sue, who was Kevin's assistant, who was like, I always said like my guardian angel for all the years there. She's awesome. Um, What's her last name? DeRosa. Yes, yeah, Sue DeRosa. DeRosa. And she was just the, the greatest. And she had said, hey, we've seen your stuff and we want to bring you out for a tryout and we're going to fly you out to California. It's going to be Oakland on a Monday and then Sacramento on a Tuesday. And that was it. Like I was so excited. I watched Rudy because that to me was like the epitome of, you know, wanting something and just always looking on the board to see if your name's on there and you're just following your dream and making it happen. To me, whether I got in the ring or not, just getting the tryout, that's all that I really wanted. So I love how you watched Rudy. That's yeah. Good, by the way. 
that was it. So Rudy, uh, I watched Rudy that day, called my parents, told them, and that's how I got in. I mean, it's, it's different for everybody. Everybody's got a different story. I feel like the majority of the people who get in now is a ring announcer. Like it wasn't necessarily people who wanted to be a ring announcer. It's like, Hey, I want to do this. Uh, Hey, can you talk? Do you want to be a ring announcer? And you know, they kind of fall in. So it's different for everybody. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. So, who was the ring announcers when you got there? Because WWE usually have, I'd say, three or four on the roster at any given time. Sure. It was Chimmel, Tony Chimmel, who was doing SmackDown. It was Lillian, who was doing Raw TV. And it was Howard, who was doing the Raw house shows. Okay. So and Jonathan go, Coachman sometimes would do the. But the you go stuff. in there, and how does the roster welcome you like obviously you become part of the team but at first are you just another guy do they even acknowledge your existence what do the other ring announcers think because there's always like that especially at that time this kid's gonna come steal my spot you know yeah you don't know so i met lillian for my tryout and she was the one who was prepping me and and teaching me what i would do so is this kid uh what's his name uh john Cena. cena john cena <laughs> Uh, it was this kid, John Cena, who was getting looked at with Shelton Benjamin. What year is this? 2002? This is 2002. God, June of 2002. That That's amazing to me. Yeah. It was uh, right after I graduated college and Cena and Shelton Benjamin were just getting started. So it was going to be that match for the Monday, that match again for the Tuesday. And it was also going to be uh, the WWE debut of, oh, what's that name? oh yeah, Rey Mysterio <laughs> against Funaki. So those were the three matches that I did in the two days. So while I was talking to Lillian, she said something about Howard. And I go, oh, so he's here. Let me tell you about my history with Howard. And then went into stories about how I used to call Howard since I was a little kid. And I used to call Howard at the office. So how did you get Howard Eagle's <laughs> number at the office? So Howard uh, worked for the WWF magazine. I was a subscriber. And I used to always read like the, the index where it showed everybody who worked in the magazine. And Howard was the one name that I recognized. And there was a phone number to call. <laughs> On top of that, I did have a friend from junior high named Brad whose mom somehow had the 800 number to Titan Towers. So between that and just using the payphone once again at school, I used to call the office and ask to talk to Howard Finkel. Uh, hi, is Howard Finkel available? Uh, this is Justin from Chicago. And I just used to call and ask him silly wrestling fan questions. Would he actually get on the phone? Yes, every time. Hello, That's Justin? Just, that shows the character of Howard that he yes. would talk. I would never do that. Yeah. It, it, especially now, like, you you remember that and you want to do that for other people. But because it's so easy now to to ask us at shows or to, to message DM you, somebody yeah. on Twitter, but to actually yeah. call in the office. Yeah. The guts that it took you to call, and then once he answered, stay on the phone. Yeah. And he always took the time, and I thanked him to the final conversation you're, him and I had. I know you're going to say yes. Do you remember any specific question you asked Yes. Him? Is it true the Bushwhackers are turning heel? Because I used to read all these wrestling. <laughs> I read anything wrestling, from the magazines to Alex Marvez's wrestling column to Blackjack Brown's wrestling column. So Blackjack Brown. I subscribed to the Torch, like, Anything I could get, any friends that I talked to who knew people or knew news, you know, you're always trying to find out what's the latest news. Mm -hmm. And I would call Howard and be like, is this true? Is this true? And man, I was the most annoying kid. And he took the time for me. And I never forgot that. What did that. he say when you asked if the Bushwhackers are turning hill? He, no, they're not. I, I don't believe so. And <laughs> no. And he was always honest. He never messed with me. And uh, one of our last conversations as a fan calling him. But before that, um, there was a softball game, a fundraiser for it was media versus the WWF before the softball game uh, before I'm sorry, before uh, SummerSlam 94 in Chicago. And it was like man cow and all those guys were behind it. And so I went there and that's the first time I got to meet Vince and get my shirt signed. And all the guys were just there and approachable. And I approached Howard and said, Hey, uh, there's something called, Outthink the Fink that was on Radio WWF. Right. So if you could stump him, the, yeah, the idea would be trying you to stump him. You win a t-shirt. And I outthink the Fink, which is unheard of. But wow. I asked him the back of uh, 
what's the number on the back of Nails's uniform? And he didn't know. It's 902714. <laughs> I think I was the only kid. We didn't get it in Chicago. So I used to call every week the 800 number so I could listen to Radio WWF on the phone mm. because we didn't get it. Tony Khan did the same thing from Champagne. We discovered that early on. Like we both used to call so we could hear the show. Wow. So uh, that's when I met him at the softball game and said, hey, I never got my T-shirt. He sent me one the next week. He asked me for my address, sent me the next week. So in our last conversation as a fan, I said uh, something, something. And he goes, Justin, I have a feeling our paths will cross again in the future. And fast forward to telling the story to Lily. And she goes, I have to bring you to Howard. So she brought me to Howard. And it was just interesting because he had talked to me since I was a kid. And I think he had it in his head like he's a big fan. And I know he's a big fan because he's been calling me since he was a kid and uh he never discredited me or anything and i think he helped me he'd give me pointers and he what always pointers to talk. what howard fink will give you one that stands out i remember sitting at the pool it was in 2004 right when i went on the road full-time and they put me in howard's spot which was is that hard no bittersweet that? you know yeah. it, it's cool that i finally got something because i was a fill-in guy for like the first year i'd fill in for tony and Smackdown shows for the most part. So taking Howard's spot, you know how much that spot meant to him. But you also know how much it means as somebody who's been chasing this for a long time. So he always said, like, if we could talk, you know, once a week, whatever, that would be cool. And yeah, of course. So I remember one of the first TVs that I did, his feedback was when you announce a tag team, let's say it's Chris Jericho and Lance Storm and your music's playing. You want to end on Lance Storm. And I don't remember what his theory was, but I, I did what he requested. And then I thought about it. And this is one of my major, which I started making notes of my crazy rules uh, last year. I'm like, I always think of these little things. I should make notes of them. So I started making notes. One of them is if it's you and Lance Storm and your music's playing, the last name I'm going to say is Jericho. So the last thing we hear is, Jericho and you hear that with your music playing because it feels funny to me if you say the other guy's name Lance Storm with Jericho music playing so that was one thing that 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 was his rule is his rule was the opposite, opposite. yeah but that's one thing that stood out um and then you know little by little and, and that's kind of what developed me as an announcer not only for ring announcements but also things to do and not do around the ring you pulled me aside in 2004 and gave me some notes of something that I did at a house show. I and did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And it's something that I never thought of, but that's how you learn. And it's all little things in every department. What notes refing. did I give you? Something about you came up to me and did something and my reaction wasn't as much of a selling and it should be more of a sell like this. Hmm. Take her too. We were in Worcester, Massachusetts and he did something and he looked at me and my reaction wasn't how you react to Taker doing something. Being and he talked to me afterwards. Or... Right. And so that's how you learn. So all these years of this is my November's gonna be twenty-six years of doing this, which is nuts. So all these little, little, little things that aren't just about ring announcing, but something you do as a ring announcer to help get over what you guys as wrestlers want and, and need and what referees should do around the ring or the timekeeper. And it's all stuff that I picked up and I just, they're second nature to me. I just, you know, the right call to make. Uh, there are times where I'll explain to Brooklyn, our timekeeper in this situation, maybe this, or maybe this, or to a referee. Cause keep in mind, I'm out there from beginning to end of a production with the crowd for four hours, five hours, whatever it is, every single week. And I've been out there. In WWF, it was four nights a week, on average, sometimes more, usually not less. I've been out there for a lot of productions from beginning to end. So you pick up on a lot of little things, talking to all you guys who have all your little things. It all adds up, and there's a bunch of little do this and don't do this that comes up. And you also, when you're out there, you feel. It's more you feel than anything. You know when you look at the format before the show, you know what kind of reaction it's going to get because you've been in that situation before. Hangman Page won the title and then we're going to be in Virginia the next week. 
And we had a production meeting. And a lot of times I tried not to say it because there's a lot of little things that I think of because I've been in these situations so many times. So you could feel the reaction before you even get in front of the crowd right. and know. And I felt strongly about it. I think I texted you in the middle of this one. I've, I've done that a few times where I text you like, hey, just to gauge to see if you think it's something I should mm -hmm. bring up. And I went to Tony and I go, I've, I've been in this situation a bunch of times. If we start the show and this crowd, Virginia, you know, it's his hometown. He just won the title. His big baby face. People are excited to cheer for Hangman Page. If we start the show with his music playing, we don't give it the chance to build. However, if we go, ladies and gentlemen, and there's a certain way I'll do the ladies and gentlemen. I capture their attention. So you're going to have a hot crowd. They're hot to begin with because dynamite starting. But if you start out, ladies and gentlemen, and then you get quiet and you suck them in, right? You, you bring them in. You bring the noise down. Please, welcome home. Mm. And as soon as you now say welcome home, you they know who this is. They're getting excited. But instead of just throwing it out there, please welcome home. The new... And you give them a chance. Instead of just hitting the music and letting them come, you let it build and build and build. And the more I say, the more they're confident they know who it is. Hangman, Adam. And by the time the music hits, everybody is up. Everybody goes crazy. That's great. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's something that you did too. One thing I like because you have the confidence of 26 years of experience and you do throw out ideas and you had one. Was it Anarchy in the Arena? Absolutely. What was the idea that you had for that? It was really good. So I came to you and again, you get these things and they're so, I think about all these little things in my head, but I'm going to pitch it to you now. And I have to give you a condensed five-second pitch, right? Because you're busy. You're doing a million things. So I leave out a lot of the details. I go to you and say, hey, we've got the show. And in an AEW show, we have phenomenal matches. Every match is a killer match. So with you being, what were you, like 10 out of 12? Some, I think so, yeah. We were like right that, in your right? yeah. So I like to set the tone in everything I do. You have to set the tone, make something feel special. And, and they're all special, right? But because of what you guys were going to do, and I didn't even know the specifics on what you're going to do, but knowing you're involved, knowing the general idea of what the match was, I said, hey, I want to set the tone and do something to kind of just go lead the crowd to where you're going to go with your match. Take them there to just get it started, right? And I said, I want to start out like nerdy introduction, nerdy professional ring announcer but then i want to say this and and make it a little bit what i wouldn't normally do just to and you kind of thought about it and you go yeah okay cool so then i went to somebody else and said hey can you just run it by tony just to make sure he's cool with it i just wanted to i didn't want to ask for uh, forgiveness i, I wanted to ask for, for permission, permission you know so the idea now i'll explain it to you what all went into it the idea is I want to get their attention. Ladies and gentlemen, again, they've been sitting through a lot of matches. They've seen a lot. But now, ladies and gentlemen, you suck them in with that. The arena was dead silent. And then I look like I forgot what I was going to say. Like I forgot my lines, right? And in AEW, I don't have lines to remember because I'm not handed a script. I'm not memorizing a script each week. I get to make up my own announcements every week. I have total freedom to make up my announcements. Ladies and gentlemen, suck them in. It's quiet now. Look like I forgot what I was going to say. Now it's uncomfortable because usually you see me for a quick second. If yeah. you see me and I go right into it, it's a machine, yeah. you know, it's really quick. Now it's uncomfortable. Now, if you're watching at home and you were on your phone, now you look up because it's just this awkward silence. So it's uncomfortable. You go, did you forget what you're supposed to say? Like, you know, and then I just kind of shrug my shoulders and go, this shit's about to hit the fan. This is anarchy. And, and you say that, and it's that moment of you go from uncomfortable, uh, did he forget what he was going to say, to, oh my gosh, because 
you've never heard me swear right. in a ring announcement before. I've never done that before. Yeah. And you're also setting the tone for like, and we didn't know at the time, but looking back on the chaos that was about to yes. ensue, you were like throwing your hands up in the air too. Like, I don't know what the hell is going to happen, but it's going to be crazy. Maybe you didn't know it, but I knew it without even knowing it, without knowing what was going to happen. I knew that's where we were going. So the way I look at it is we're on a train and I reached over and I grabbed the wheel and I took it and I took us off the tracks because I knew that's where you guys were anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it got like a, a pop as I did it, but I didn't sit and wait for the pop. Like, ha, ah, that's funny because it wasn't about that. This is anarchy in the arena. And the crowd popped and the music hit and then the baby faces came out and it was just chaos with the music playing and it was such a cool start the way you guys really but yeah we added yours was the cherry on top it set the tone and that's what i do in ring announcing which i don't know if i always did that in wwe i I think being here and having full creative freedom in ring announcing to do what i do i think that helped me with the nerdiness of this and analyzing it's interesting psychology interesting to me not to interrupt you but keeping on this course that that we talk about the creative freedom that we have in AEW and you have it too, even as a ring announcer. So, so you were get like, I have a promo tonight and there's no, I was just thinking about as we were talking, there's no script, but I know what I'm going to say. Cause I have it in my head, but you were given a script even in WWE as the ring announcer. What does that mean? Cause to me it's name, weight, birthplace. So it was those ladies and gentlemen, please welcome tonight's guest host of Monday night raw, gotcha. uh, whatever, 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 or, this is a three stages of hell match in the first stage. This, 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 and this in the second stage. Gotcha. This, this, And there were times where I went to Vince and said, would you mind if I make this a little more? I, sometimes there would be words that not everybody's going to understand. No one would ever use. Yeah. <laughs> so there were times, but for the most part, I memorized what I was given, and that's what I did there. Right. And then I really grew, I think, from all the years of being there and all the shows that I was doing, four, five, six, seven days a week, whatever it might be. But leaving there, and I did a few indie dates where, again, they didn't tell me what to do with those shows. So I was able to do what I knew the right thing. And you get to like psychology. I don't know if many ring announcers use psychology in the ring announcements, but that's what I'm doing from the beginning of the night to the end of the night using psychology, which brings me to chapter two, WWE. I'm a ring announcer here. I'm brought in as a ring announcer. I'm not asked anything or told to do anything. I'm not given, Hey, we'd like this or like, like no direction. You know, it's just, we brought you in because you're you, right? So Cody had said, if you could be like more of an MC than a ring announcer, but, you know, use your voice and use your volume and do what you like. Cody was the one who really made it easy to just jump in here and do what I did. And I was never an MC in WWE. So commercial breaks, I would stand there with my hands folded. I couldn't talk to the crowd because we're in a commercial break and they played video packages or whatever they did. They didn't want right. the arena reaction. Right. They didn't okay, want yeah. noise. They might be shooting pre-tapes in the back. So I toured with Tool. and you were their VIP yeah. liaison, right? Yeah. And when I asked what I did, they didn't really have anything. It was just, oh, you, there was no direction from them. But I had never done that. But Tool knew me from coming to wrestling shows and being wrestling fans. So it was Adam Jones who said, hey, we're doing this thing. If you could just host it. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do because I don't know enough about them to be able to talk about them. I became a fan of theirs after I started working with them. Because you were friends with Adam. Yeah. Yeah. And then I became a huge fan once I started listening. But doing their their tours, that's where I learned all these little things from trying it every day. Every day we're in a different city. And I would do these little things and they work. So I would do them the next day. And I would also get the band comfortable trying new things because – they're not used to doing engagements like this in front of a crowd. So Adam was very comfortable. Danny and Justin on the last tour that I did, they became a lot more active in these events with the fans. So I would do these little things to get the room comfortable with each other, to get the fans comfortable. And that way it would make it easier for people to raise their hands and get involved. If you just show up and you sit there as a fan and you watch, 
you're still uncomfortable. But if we do these things before the band comes in, where are you guys from? And tell these stories. It was just so, everybody was so comfortable with each other. By the time the band came in, everybody were like one big group. We weren't strangers. So everything that I did on the tool tours, that's what I do now in commercial breaks. What are some of the things you do now during commercial break? I do everything. Uh, Rock, paper, scissors. Do rock, paper, scissors. So a lot of times when we're filming, there's going to be a break and I I never want to lose the crowd. I want to keep the crowd you don't want dead air. interested. Right. Yeah. I, I want the crowd having fun because I know what it's like sitting in the arena because I'm sitting in the arena. I'm With a fan. Them. Yeah. I am one of them. I am a fan. So what can we do to keep this interesting? So I'll read signs and sometimes there'll be like a, a child who says, this is my first AEW show and I'll have a little conversation with them. Somebody, it's their 10th birthday. Hey, uh, what's your name? Jonathan. It's Jonathan's 10th birthday. Think it'll be memorable if everybody in the arena says happy birthday? One, two, three, happy birthday. And it's all these feel good things that we do. And it's mm. it's cool for and everybody in the arena gets comfortable because we're all having a good time. We're all fans and we're all in this together. So rock, paper, scissors, sometimes if there's gonna be some downtime, say who wants to see a match? Yeah, who wants to see a rock, paper, scissors? Because it's the one thing you can do, right? So um those are the little things just to keep everybody engaged and to keep it fun. And just, you know, what, what kind of interactions did you have with Vince? Did he ever get on you about anything or any advice? Yeah. As an announcer? Yeah. He got on me all the time because he would sit out there and I was under a microscope and I would do something uh, is from Chicago, Illinois, 222 pounds, CM punk. Mark Yaton would take off the headset, the timekeeper, uh, my tag team partner out there. He would wipe off the headset and hand it to me, which meant that I was probably getting yelled at. And I'd put it on and he'd say, why did you say CM Punk was 222 pounds? I'd say, well, that's what I say he is every week. And then there would be nothing. Or why did you do this? Or why did you say this? And don't ever say this. And do. And a lot of times the little Vincisms, because you think at the time like they're weird and but then you think back and go, okay. I mean, there is that balance. There's like the, hey, I just got out of WWE. I have all these things built up. I'm going to go on your podcast now, and I'm going to talk about how now I have this freedom because I was told, don't do this, don't do this. And then you think about it as time goes on. And a lot of those things, yes, they're crazy, and you leave them at the door. There's other things that stick, like, okay, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like that, and there were a lot of things. But here, I try to not do the things that sound robotic that I was always told to do or just scripted to do. And you right. just do because I don't want to say it's lazy writing, but it's, hey, this is what the ring announcer says every week. It's Ladies necessary and evil, right? Because they never right. really even showed you on camera for a no, while. No, never, yeah, like, barely shown. Yeah. And that's the thing in pro wrestling. They barely show ring announcers. Ring announcers really don't mean anything in wrestling. And I, I realized that when I went and did Muay Thai and when I did World Arm Wrestling League, like everything that I did, CBS boxing, all these events that I did after WWE, I realized wrestling ring announcers don't get respect. They just, they're kind of there. You kind of, they're a prop, which I, I do think I'm here as a prop and I like to lay low. But when I need to set the tone for something or make something feel special, that's when I do something out of the norm. But otherwise, I am a prop. And, and that's what I tell guys all the time. I'm a prop. Use me for whatever you need to do. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. ask you this um so still talking about w we can talk about, about aw as well but for w i'm thinking wrestlemania stadium show is there a different way to announce a wrestlemania show than there is a sunday afternoon in poughkeepsie i always thought so and again you go back to how vince thinks versus how i think and i got called literally out of the ring before we did the biggest uh, royal rumble in history in boston I think he had just seen UFC. The story I was told was he had just seen UFC and he did not like Bruce Buffer and thought he was too over the top. So he talked to me about toning everything down, which once in a while I would have that conversation with him. Tone it down. Don't give Sabu that big introduction. Don't give John Cena that big introduction. Don't give The Undertaker the big... 
And it's like, I didn't do it for everybody, but I did it where I needed to make something feel special. And it was always something that was built organically. The John Cena didn't happen overnight. It was from doing it at house shows, doing it at TVs. And over time, it's just something that built up. And this is how you would announce John. John. Yes. It was a big introduction, right? It was special for John. And John was the top guy. And he called me into his office right before this Royal Rumble. And I go, so you want me to introduce John and Undertaker and everybody the same way that I introduce everybody else? Finaki and, yeah. you know, whatever, yeah. yeah. And he said, yeah. I said, okay. And, you know, his company, it's what he wanted. And so I would try to bring it up like a little bit as we got closer to a WrestleMania because like the undertaker's introduction was special yes. you know and i got especially at wrestlemania yeah i got chewed out for introducing the rock when it was the rock and punk at royal rumble in phoenix you know he's the rock he's he's the biggest name in entertainment and in wrestling and, uh, and i was so proud of that introduction too you know i announced rock in 2000 I think it was in 2000 at a Bally's Grand Opening when I was doing the AWA stuff. We did an appearance with The Rock. So I got to introduce him at Bally's in 2000. And here we are in you know, 2013 or whatever it was. And I want to give him an introduction. And Vince didn't like that. So, yeah, I, I personally think for bigger events, yeah, you, you want to go big on those. Um, What's the biggest uh, match you ever announced in WWE? Biggest match. I'd say my my biggest announcement in WWE was Brock beating Taker for the streak. Oh, you were on the call for that. That was the biggest announcement I ever made that got the smallest reaction. Ah, interesting. Because yeah. no one wanted to see yeah. it. Yeah, it, it was an uncomfortable feeling. The bell rings, no announcement. Did you know what no. the finish was? No my stomach dropped. I thought either it was Chad who was roughing. I thought either... Chad or whoever's refing made a mistake or Mark made a mistake. Like I, I was just in doubt. And so it was very uncomfortable. And then I get a cue a minute later and I go, the winner of this match, Brock Lesnar. And it was just an uncomfortable announcement, but the ending of the streak would be normally a big announcement. Sure. And it got just cause everybody's jaws were dropped. There was like ooing and eyeing. It was People weren't cheering. They weren't. It was just everybody, including myself. Disbelief. Disbelief. Uh, as far as the biggest match, maybe Cena Rock at WrestleMania or mm-hmm. Taker Sean or Ta- I mean, I had a really good run. I, I announced a lot of really big matches that were awesome. So all those. So, so uh, we start to kind of wind down a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about your lists of do's and don'ts. As a ring announcer, you don't have to go to all of them, but what are sure. some, some of the main ones? I think a big one to do is Chris Jericho is a big baby face and we're in Chicago and you're working uh, a local Johnny Appleseed who's from Chicago. I'm doing everybody a disservice if I introduce him from Chicago because now people will get behind him and just because he's the local boy. Even though you're a big baby face, because he's a local guy, if he's get, he'll get sympathy, like all these things that he wouldn't get if he didn't get that announcement. So I think the biggest is never introduce the local baby face's opponent from that town if they're from there. Um, little things I do if somebody's from the same hometown or. If you're a heel, if we're uh, if we're in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and you're a heel, typically, unless we make a big deal out of you being from there, I'm just going to say you're waiting. I'm going to skip over your hometown for that one. So a lot of times I make minor modifications. Mm-hmm. Last week, we were in Ro- Rochester, New York, which isn't Long Island, but Tony Nese was working Orange Cassidy. And I didn't want to say Strong Island, New York, because some people might catch on to New York and get behind him but he's working Orange Cassidy. So I don't want to do anybody a disservice. So that's that's my biggest one. A lot of times in AEW, guys have come up to me and said, hey, can you announce my hometown like this? And I think to myself, okay, and, and I'll always hear everybody out because I appreciate anybody who comes up to me. That means they're really trying. 
if they're taking their ring introduction into consideration, that means, and MJF is very big with this, he would always come to me with little, little things. And that's how I know somebody really cares because, you know, just it's all the little things. So a guy was like, hey, can you announce my hometown like this? And I go, well, is it, he's a heel. I said, is it like a a rival to where we're at today? Because I I didn't think it was. No, not really. I just think it would sound cool if you said it like this. (laughs) And I, I have to explain every little thing I do, there's a reason behind it. A guy came up and said, hey, can you announce my name more like this? I said, well, the reason I do something, I do something spunky for you as it is. And the reason I do it is because you're a heel and you get this kind of reaction. And so to match that, I do it like this. But eventually, I guarantee you're going to be a baby face, and it's going to change into this. And I guarantee you're going to be a big baby face, and it's going to grow into this. And if you do that now, the reaction, the introduction that I give you, I try to match the reaction that it's going to get. Because you don't want to give this this big baby face announcement of your hometown to a heel who's not going to get that kind of reaction. I'm doing you a disservice, uh, I'm doing the crowd a disservice. I'm doing something to help magnify what you want again, right, what you're right, going right, to get. Right. So little things like that, if guys come up to me with requests, I'll always take into consideration. But there's a lot of times the requests Doesn't are, fit. yeah, it's yep. just there's a reason for it. There's a reason behind every little thing I do. Let's talk about the few times you've had to do physicality. Because once again, anybody that's in the ring is fair game when the time is right. I know we did something once in Chicago to get some heat, beat up the local. Like, yeah. are, you, are you from Chicago? Yeah. What high school did you go to? Wherever you said, <laughs> Glen, Glen Old Heights or whatever. Um, is that something that you've always been prepared to do? Uh, is it something you just take into account and say, I got to do it? Does, it? does it bother you when you have to be involved in that respect? I'm happy to do anything I can for the show, right? I'm, I'm a prop. And anything I can do to help whatever the guys want to do or the company wants to do, I'm there for it. The only real downside to that, and and as a kid who wanted to be a wrestler, like, oh, that's awesome. But the downside is you have to go from whatever happens to being back in the ring, whether it's later in the show or the next week, as a straight ring announcer, prop, you know, professional, (laughs) there to be a ring announcer. And then there's that awkwardness. So, I get choked out and beat up by the Nexus. And now, every time uh, Daniel Bryan comes to the ring, first, they're like, you, uh, they would chant that I got him fired. You right, because he was choking you with your tie, yeah. and because of the choking element at the time, that was a no-no, so he got fired. He got fired for yeah. it. Even though, like, I shook his head, it was very happy, and you everybody had nothing was to do happy. With it. Yeah. And we talked right after it happened. Everything was cool, but... The fans in every arena at every house show for the next two months, every time I came out, they booed and chanted his name. And as they're chanting his name, I'm like, I like him too. Uh, (laughs) So it just makes it uncomfortable, like going forward. So when you guys, the inner circle beat me up, it was a bit uncomfortable every time I was in the ring with you for the next month or so Mm -hmm. after that until people kind of forget about it. So always happy to do it, but it's like, don't forget, I have to go back to... Being a ring announcer who doesn't, you know, I I don't want to have like a weird thing every time you guys get in the ring. I just want to be the ring announcer and be the prop. And if you want me to say something funky in your introduction or, you know, get the crowd going with this, I, I just want to be able to do my job, so mm-hmm. to speak. Well, when, uh, when you're in the ring, a lot of times, and you can tell me like what's like, everyone tries to flick you in the balls or something. Has there been a time when someone got you like that when you were in the ring and someone got oh, yeah, you? Yeah, I was... You know? conditioned like in WWE I would just always stand with my hands folded in a certain spot just <laughs> but anything though would anybody get you have you ever been had anything poured on you or has anybody ever pulled a rib on you and they got oh the yeah Umaga now? used to mess with me every night uh he would make me run a- it was funny I had I forgot all about this and I have like themes on my phone because I always collected entrance themes since I was a kid and one day I just hit shuffle on my phone. So I was playing everything. Umaga's music came on. And as soon as it came on, it took me back to being in the arena. And he would come down with Armando. And he would chase me every night and try to get my shoes. And I completely <laughs> forgot about it until I heard the music. And then I immediately like texted Armando or we went to dinner and I was telling him about it. But yeah, he used to do that. There were, there were especially back then and in, in that era, you know, there were like the SmackDown era. There were a lot of guys that would do stuff. And- a little more bullying back then, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, now in AEW, obviously, you mentioned a little more creative freedom, and and but you you always have aspirations like as a ring announcer. I mean, as a referee, sometimes you're doing the 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 ring uh, setup, the ring crew. You go grab wrestler a and bring him to the office is there any stuff backstage that you do i know you're now in the production meetings and you have been for for a while now that's a great question um i love producing uh again being in the arena even now like four and a half hours each week uh, one day a week being in the arena from beginning to end and just knowing and feeling crowd reactions you see everything you're the one guy who's out there the whole show everything and there are times, so I'll, I'll let you in on a secret, which isn't a secret to you because you found out the hard way. I have a special microphone that <laughs> nobody uses because we don't want to throw anybody off. So there's always a spare if anybody needs a mic, like, eh, use that one. I have a button on my microphone. And if I press that button, I could talk to the truck. So the idea of having an IFB uh, so I have an earpiece to hear the truck and get direct communication, which I didn't have in WWE. Have that now. It's a lifesaver. It's a game changer. But having that button on my microphone, Greg Werner got me that button, and it is the greatest thing ever. So there are times where, because our truck, our, we have an awesome production team, and they're doing a million things. And there are times where somebody might call for me to do something, but it's just kind of on autopilot. And because of the unique situation, I know that it might not be what they really want to do. And I could press that button and go, are you sure you want to do this or you want to do this? Uh, we had a situation a couple of weeks ago at, at our pay-per-view where they didn't call for something. And I knew that it needed it. I just, I knew that this announcement needed to be made. And I pressed my button and go, I'm ready. I'm ready. And that's my, like, in case they got busy with something else, like, I'm ready. I'm ready. And they go, oh, no, we're going to do this instead. I go, I think you need to do this. And he goes, okay, go. And I, I did what I thought was right to do in the moment. And then we talked about it afterwards. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you did that. Thank you. I produce by ringside unofficially. I'm not here as a producer. I'm, I'm not told to produce. But there are things that I do because, again, what we were talking about, things that you told me, things that Taker told me, things that uh, Sean Michaels told me in the middle of a match, don't ever do this or do this. I'm sharing that with everybody because I want to help everybody here. I, I want us to be the best possible, mm -hmm. right? So I'm at ringside kind of producing unofficially and not that anybody's told to listen, not that I should be telling people what to do, but just we're on live TV and I want to help the company. I want to help the boss if he's not out there telling us what to do, what not to do. I can't be like, hey, is it okay if I tell the timekeeper to do this instead? You know, I'm just... I'm making judgment calls. So I'm producing at ringside and talking to the timekeeper and talking to security, letting them know something that's going to happen or to the referee or, hey, since this is going to happen, maybe we do this and a lot of maybe we should do this. So the idea of producing, because I have 26 years of experience being out there with the crowd from beginning to end and just knowing the right call to make because I've been in every situation for the most part over all these years. So, yeah, I, I like producing, and that's what I'd love to do on more of an official level. I mean, if, if I could produce pre-tapes, that's just – that that would be huge. That's that's, because yeah. I, I watch pre-tapes, and I could feel those. I used to produce guys – you probably don't know this. In, in WWE, there were times guys were told to go out and cut a promo on a house show just to get them comfortable, and they would be, they would be out there, like, cutting a promo, not knowing where they're going because – I could feel it because I knew their character. Right. I could feel the, and I would feed lines and not that they had to take it. I didn't have an earpiece. They knew that I wasn't being fed by somebody, but just to help them out. Cause I could feel the promo and I would just say lines for them and they would repeat <laughs> what I said. And you know, it was just, you feel promos. So it's like, ugh, it's almost like you have a sixth sense for wrestling. Sure. You grew up. You sure. just, it's, this has been my life as a, as a kid watched everything in wrestling and my entire, since I graduated, since high school, since high school, I've been announcing wrestling. 26 years worth, yeah. Last three questions for you. Who's your favorite person to announce currently in AEW? I think Moxley, just because I get to do, you know, I wanted, I, I knew the position he was in when he came over. And I like him a lot, and I think he's very special. And even though, you know, it's it's based on what I did for Cena, uh, who else is is deserving of an introduction like that i 
I think he's special and he should get a special introduction. Just that feels mm-hmm. big. And it's cool because I hear from a lot of people, you know, they, that's their favorite announcement always. It makes him feel big. He is big. But also when you meet kids and the kids, that's, I could do an announcement like you. And they go, John. Yeah, yeah. It, it's cool. So um, I always ask people that are here, what's your favorite match you've ever been in? So what's your favorite ring announcement you've ever done? Is the one that stands out for you? Uh, aside from introducing Betty White on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> that counts. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, I mean, worlds collide, right? Huge Golden Girls fan all my life and yeah. got to introduce Betty White in a WWE ring. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I always say introducing Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania just because, you know, you grew up. And, Synonymous. Yeah, so that was huge. and. Uh, Taker, too, was just, I was always a big Taker fan. There's a, a video clip of me with my mullet, and I'm 10 years old, and holding up the WWF magazine, and, uh, you know, flash to WrestleMania, like, 20, uh, was one in Orlando, 24, and I'm announcing him in the main event of WrestleMania, and just any time he came out in that chilling entrance, and just to get to be a Dumb, part of that, yeah. yeah. Last question for you. I mean, you mentioned you've seen literally thousands of matches from probably the best seat in the house in a lot of ways as a fan. You're a professional, but you're a fan as well. What's the best match that you've ever watched from ringside? It's hard to just pick one match. If you think about it, you know, doing this for nearly 26 years, I've announced everybody from the King Kong Bundy, Greg Valentine, Jimmy Snuka, George Steele era to, you know, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, everybody of today, the Orange Cassidy, Sammy Guevara's, Darby Allens. It, it's hard to just to think of one match or even a top three or a top five or a top ten. There's so many. I always think of uh, Evan Bourne and Rey Mysterio, uh, you know, Matt Seidel in Tokyo. Uh, and, man, I think that was the same show when uh, you had wrestled Ricky Steamboat. Uh, but, you know, doing so many matches so many days throughout so many weeks throughout so many months throughout so many years i've seen so many i think as crazy as it sounds the match that i am more proud of than anything at this point which is insane to think of uh, it's something that happened after a dynamite went off the air and we were just doing something for the crowd and i've told this story before uh it was q team marshall and brendan cutler who were baby faces at the time uh we had Two fans from the crowd come in. One was dressed as Scooby-Doo. One was dressed as Jesus. With the tone of my voice, I was able to get the crowd to boo our two known baby faces and cheer for these two fans. Uh, And not just cheer, but like big cheers and and big boos just from the inflection because that's that's part of the art that goes into ring announcing, that it's just using the tone of your voice to do certain things to get certain reactions. And I was very proud of that match. So I don't know if it was my favorite match match, but it just my favorite introduction because I was able to show off what I can actually do as a ring announcer. Congratulations on being the new generation Howard Finkel. <laughs> the, the Todd Pettengill. Of, right? <laughs> Same hair. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. 